BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Josh Marshall podcast. We have a number of issues we're going to talk about today in this episode of the podcast, and they all are kind of, um, you, you know, fallout from the midterms, basically. Some more directly than others, but they all kind of, you know, they're all in that um, in that ballpark. And one of those, as you know, we now have a special counsel who is going to be taking over the various investigations of President Donald Trump. Uh, I did a post about this right afterward in which I basically said, hey, this is fine as far as I'm concerned. I don't see the problem because I, I saw a lot of a lot of people saying, oh, you know, the fix is in. This is like, you know, the Blue Ribbon Commission. They're just going to punt it. They're, they're, I don't see I, – I, I was mystified by those responses, honestly. Um, I, I'm basically in the same camp of, of those people who say, look, we're, we're way too far into the space of – you know, the most theoretical nominal conflict of interest, automatically we got to bring someone in, you know, bring someone else in. I mean, Joe Biden was elected president. He appointed a very apolitical attorney general. Uh, you know, there's just no, there's no problem here. So do I think it was necessary, like that it would be inappropriate if, if, if they didn't appoint someone like this? No, I don't, I don't really think it was necessary, but do I think it's a problem? No, I, 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 I just do not see that. Now, I did see something, uh, a legal commentator who I respect a lot, I saw, uh, you know, saying basically, well, this is going to, you know, delays. And, you know, if the investigation goes into 2025, uh, if it's a Republican president, they can they can shut the whole thing down. Um, first of all, I there, there's a couple. There's a couple reasons why that doesn't make sense to me. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm the one who's wrong, but this is my thinking at, at least. The first is, as I understood um, what Merrick Garland said, this new guy is not coming in and like starting the investigation from scratch. I don't think he, I mean, A, they're not going to have to recover ground they've already covered. And at least my interpretation of that is he doesn't have to hire investigators and stuff like that as as we've seen in various ways in um 
in different investigations over the years. I don't think that's the case. I think there are investigators who are doing this. There are FBI agents who are doing this. And he is coming in to basically take uh, Merrick Garland's position. You know, there's some little uh, nuances there, but basically that, that when they say, hey, we want to do this, you know, we want to raid, we want to raid Mar-a-Lago or we want to bring this indictment that, that, that is the new guy is the one who's going to make those calls. Now, um, if I'm totally wrong about that, that might kind of change my opinion a little, but not that much. And I don't think I'm wrong about that. So that's kind of my, um, my take on that. We're going to discuss that and sort of surrounding that you had, uh, this week, this is like Donald Trump's hell week before judges. Basically, this is the, you know, every, every, all these different investigations where he's been, you know, playing them out in this direction, in that direction, they all kind of came to a head with judges at the state level, federal level, different appellate level, stuff like that, all kind of saying, dude, no, no, we're not, we're not doing that. And, and, uh, I'm going to, we're going to talk to, um, my co-host Kate about that, but I guess my sense is in a lot of cases, it's just because he's been stringing things out. And now in, in a lot of these cases, they've got to the final, the final judge, basically. So like, you know, you get a bad ruling and you say, fine, I'm going to appeal it to the next person. In a lot of cases, they've just gotten to the last person. It's kind of done. And, and, and maybe those people have put a little more, you know, kind of spin on the ball in their, um, uh, you know, in their comments. But that is a big part of it. I also wonder to a certain extent, you know, judges are human beings and uh, Republican judges are even more human than most of us. Let's put it that way. OK. Um, and I suspect they can kind of, you know, they see how the, which way the wind is blowing. So I suspect that has made everybody kind of a little a little less scared of Donald Trump, a little um maybe made people a little less willing to kind of throw him a lifeline. Uh, because, you know, I was talking about this in a post that th these weren't necessarily the main issues that were coming to a head this week. But um, on the January 6th stuff, and the special prosecutor guys taking that over, you know, taking that, the Trump part of that over as well, there, at least, you've got some real legal questions. You know, there, there, there is not a, there's not a clear cut like insurrection statute. I mean, there is actually an insurrection statute, but there's not a statute that necessarily directly addresses the, the exact set of facts um, that we saw in the lead up to January 6th and on, and on January 6th. But in the stuff with Mar-a-Lago, it's just clear cut. He wasn't allowed to have that stuff. He knew he wasn't allowed to have that stuff. He took it. He lied about it. He hid it. It, it you know, it, it's he's 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 just um, he's just guilty as hell. And uh, so we're going to see how that plays out. Now, the other thing that I am really um, interested in, fascinated by in, you know, in, in the sense of how it's fascinating when you drive by a horrific accident on the highway, um, is the situation with Kevin McCarthy. You know, I just did, I just wrote a post and the point of that post was basically saying, you know, coming out of the midterm, 
the in official Washington, the sort of the takeaway is, uh, you know, MAGA and Donald Trump is just, you know, toxic in a general election. People who go down that road, they lose elections that Republicans could otherwise win. And that's why we're seeing uh, various Republicans, um, you know, start making bids to kind of like, okay, maybe I can push Trump aside, DeSantis, all the other, all the other people. Um, but if you look at the actual Republican Party, it's full steam ahead. I mean, it's Hunter Biden or bust. It's like, you know, impeach uh, the DHS secretary, uh, impeach Tony Fauci, even though he's like retired now. So it's like everything. And you see that playing out because, um, I mean, I, I, I really want to hear from those reporters who uh, in the fall were writing those source greaser col- uh, articles about Kevin McCarthy, like, oh, man. Kevin's a ball buster, man. He's 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 picked the lock of the of the House GOP caucus. He's got this thing. I mean, clearly he does not have this thing. And I noticed that um, one of our colleagues here at TPM just published a piece as we were prepping to record this episode. He's losing support. He is losing support. You know, the, the kind of where this is stood is um, about 30 uh, representatives did not vote for him in the caucus. Now, let's just remind ourselves kind of how this works. You become the party's nominee for speaker by winning a majority of the caucus. So you win 51% of the caucus, you're the nominee for speaker. But the way that this works is to be speaker, you have to get voted on by a majority of the whole house. Okay. When you have a very slender majority like this, that means you basically need unanimous support from your party. So those you got those 30 people who wouldn't vote for him. So they didn't want him, but that doesn't mean they're going to vote against him because normally that's like, you know, you don't do that. At least as of yesterday, there were four House Republicans who basically said, I will never vote for Kevin McCarthy for speaker. So like, no way. So he's needed to kind of basically get everyone else. He can probably lose four. I think that's where we are in terms of the size of their majority. There's even some other funny business they can do where they can get some Republicans to, to abstain. So that, that pulls the number down for what you need beneath 218. Okay. But remember the Democrats have, I think now 213 reps, so you can't have too many sustain. You can't have uh, too many abstain, because then you have Hakeem Jeffries becoming speaker. So he is at, so so McCarthy is out there, kind of like on a on a national job interview, or kind of like on a you know reality TV feats of strength episode. You know he's going down to the border, threatening to impeach uh, Alejandro Mayorkas. He's, uh, you know, he's going to kick like all the Democrats off every committee. And even with that, there's he's still losing support. So we're going to talk about how this is actually going to play out. Not that not that I, at least I don't know how it's going to play out, but we're going to we're going to see what we can figure out on that front. But before we do that, 
I want to remind you that Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee is a sponsor of the Josh Marshall Podcast. If you're traveling for the holidays while you're packing up the kids, dogs, and sweaters for your annual visit to your in-laws' house, don't forget to pack Grady's Cold, a Grady's Cold Brew Kit because without proper planning, drinking a single sip from your mother-in-law's moldy coffee pot will be even harder on your stomach than watching OANN over family dinner. Luckily, the Grady's Cold Brew Kit makes it easy to drink delicious coffee on the go. Just toss in some bean bags, add water, stick the pouch in the fridge overnight, and you'll have smooth, flavorful coffee all week long. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 25% off at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Okay, uh, Kate Riga, what's going on? Yeah, so let's let's kind of start in the Trump Hell Week corner. Um, you know, you let off with the special prosecutor which is so funny because it almost feels that if we hadn't been so inundated with like special slash independent counsels of various stripes of late, it would have been, you know, big, juicy news, even just because the phrase special prosecutor is like kind of exciting, you know, yeah, it's kind of it, it, it like kind of not not a thrill. What's that thing like a frisson, right? Exactly, you know, kind of like exactly. gets everybody a little stirred up. But now it was just like your kind of mandatory headlines about it. And then people just kind of like Googling who this guy is. Um, And I I don't know what your immediate impression was, but when I saw the news, I was just kind of like so shrug about it because I kind of feel that the biggest criticism I've seen coming from like, I don't know, Lawrence Tribe and those like that is that the biggest consideration here at this point is time. You know, the the idea being that if Republicans perform really well in 2024 and kind of like take over the government or at least enough of it, that this investigation would be dismantled. And I think that's, you know, pretty unimpeachably true. Um, and then the concern being that you've got this new guy, he's got to hire staff, he's got to get offices, he's got to get up to speed. Etc. And I, now, I is that but, your impression though on that key point that he really? I mean, obviously he's going to need to hire a few people just to mm-hmm. like, you know, assistance to him. But does he actually have to hire like an investigative team? Because my assumption is like the team is there. Right. He's That's just my understanding too. Yeah. He's just kind of taking over things. So in that way, I thought it was like I, I hear what they're saying. But I don't necessarily know that I feel this is automatically like a three month time suck of getting this guy up to speed. And then but on the other hand, I was just kind of left feeling like, okay, why? Like, why do they need this guy in the first place? And kind of best I can understand is we you know don't want it to appear political this is a big a big deal so we want to outsource it to this guy and on that grounds i'm just kind of like that to me feels like we're operating in an early earlier political age because the idea that if garland kind of garland who is himself you know in all but the most brain worm chewed minds like a cautious to a fault kind of careful centrist bland man This idea that, well, we're going to bring in someone else and we're going to give him the authority and then Republicans will be like, you know what? That's fair. He's a straight shooter. Nothing we can say. Like, come on. That's not going to happen. They're going to either find some connect. Like Jack Smith is going to be connected to someone who once like was in college Democrats or something. And and that'll be enough. Or the truth of the matter is that the attorney general can 
basically take or leave whatever the special prosecutor comes out with. So it's not like the independence is kind of this huge, you know, Garland can't touch it kind of thing. So either way, this idea of like, well, we're outsourcing it to kind of keep it non-political strikes me as just a little silly and a little bit of a solution crafted for a time we're not in. You know, I don't think he could have handed this investigation over to anyone who Republicans wouldn't have been like, witch hunt, political persecution. Totally, totally. So it's just kind of like, just charge ahead. Just do the thing, you know? Yeah, that's, I mean, I noticed that um, uh, they're right out of the gate. One of the, I can't remember this guy's name. He's one of the guys who basically was like kind of one of the top enforcers on the Republican side on the Judiciary Committee for years. So, you know, kind of why do we have a stacked judiciary? This guy, right? He's, you know, he's kind of run that stuff. And he brought out that I guess, God, I'm forgetting. I think it's McDonnell, you know, this guy who was the last Republican governor of Virginia. Um, I can't remember his first name. In any case, um, he was indicted and convicted, uh, it's not technically bribery. It's this kind of what is it, like false. It, basically, this idea is you're someone gives you some money and then you do some stuff in in policy terms. You are you are cheating um, Bob McDonnell. Thank you. Um, you're, you're sort of cheating the public of honest services, like doing your job the right way. Okay, okay. that conviction was overturned. I think you. I think it was unanimously by the Supreme Court. So like not on a, you know, kind of on a, on a Republican Democrat divided thing. And that decision has had very big repercussions in, in uh, public corruption cases over the last decade, because it's, that was the way if, you know, if a politician is office is, is in office and some donor type is like giving them a car and, you know, sending them sports tickets and all sorts of stuff and he's doing stuff for him that's how you charge that person and the supreme court said no you can't do that 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 is not that that whole theory is 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 not okay so it's kind of blown this hole open in um in how we approach public corruption cases and so that's a big deal in itself but their thing is like ah he so i guess the i guess the point is that was when uh this Smith guy was the head of the public corruption division. Um, and so ergo, he tried to take out a rising Republican and even the Democrats on the Supreme court shot him down because it was, it was, you know, so, you know, as you say, they're going to find anything. And, and it does, it does kind of seem, um, it does seem antiquated, uh, or maybe not antiquated, but just outdated. Like mm-hmm. we were in a different era. And at a basic level, um, we should believe in, you know, democratic accountability. The public elected Joe Biden to run the executive branch. Joe Biden made the decision to put Merrick Garland to run the Justice Department. In point of fact, he is a former judge. He has like, you know, basically no partisan profile, although, you know, he was appointed by Democrats. So he's kind of in the Democratic camp, but he's he's not a partisan in any sense. And so, you know, if Donald Trump committed a crime, 
they should prosecute him. You know, it's just it it we, we get into this like, you know, appearances of impropriety and, you know, appearances of conflict when there's actually no conflict. And I guess how it was explained to me or some commentary I saw is that I guess the current special prosecutor uh, statute or I, mean, I can't remember if it's a statute or, you know, DOJ regs basically says you do it if there's a conflict or if the case has just such public importance if it's such a big deal it just kind of makes sense and it seems like it's in that bucket and it is a big deal we've never prosecuted a former president so it's a big deal so yeah it does seem needless to me on the other hand i like okay you know whatever i don't think it's gonna like i i I, if donald trump is going to be indicted it should not be over a close call. You don't indict a former president if it's kind of like right on the edge. That doesn't make sense. It's going to have to be something that kind of like, dude, you committed a crime. And just because you're like ranting on truth social, we're not going to say that's OK. Um, and at least in the Mar-a-Lago case, I think that's where we are. And mm-hmm. this guy seems like a pretty big hard ass. So, I mean, and and more generally... I guess my question was more, I mean, I think we knew this, but what has kind of hovered over the Mar-a-Lago investigation the whole time is, are they really looking to indict him? Or is this kind of like, look, they just want, the government wants his documents back. He was being a dick about it. So they kind of had no choice but to go and get them. And, you know, so the point is, they're not really indicting Donald Trump has never really been what this is about. It's kind of an administrative action. Well, I don't think you appoint a special prosecutor if that's what's happening. I think you appoint a special prosecutor if this is an investigation leading towards an indictment. It is structured around indicting the person who did the bad stuff. That doesn't mean it it will necessarily happen, but that's a certain kind of investigation. I think it is that kind of investigation. And um, if you're just wrapping it up, no one, no one's going to um, – well, I'm not even sure that's 100% the case. If you're just wrapping it up, there's no real need to do this. I think you do this because there's a big decision coming up and you're just trying to kind of put a bow on it and get out of the way. I mean, I think in terms of the profile that Smith is taking over, you've got the January 6th stuff on the one hand, which I think it's almost hard for people to – swallow the fact that it's not open and shut because everyone with eyes and ears is kind of like this is his fault but that's you know obviously not quite enough to to indict you know along the lines of these these statutes but the mar-a-lago one is just so much less of like a hydra there's so many less pieces like it really boils down to the fact that like you cannot be light fingered with these kind of documents and not and it wasn't a case of him you know whoops i forgot to return it it was a case that the national archives badgered him for a long time gave him like a lot of leeway to get this stuff back and he was you know delay 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 then he's like okay fine here's the stuff and they're like uh we know this isn't all the stuff and then they get the fbi on board and you know lo and behold there is serious classified documents there And this is kind of a good segue into the oral arguments yesterday because it's just it's so basic. And and the Trump team has such just piss poor defense here, which is why yesterday's oral arguments is a panel of judges from the 11th Circuit. It's two Trump appointees and one George W. Bush appointee. And they freaking 
tore the Trump lawyer apart. And it's because you know, this case, they the Trump team kind of started out being like, this is attorney client privilege, man. And then this is executive privilege. And that was kind of the whole basis of this, the special master nonsense that was only greenlit because you got this like OAN judge to be like, yeah, makes sense. And so they got the special master on those claims. Those grounds have been all but abandoned. They have not been mentioned in the latest Trump briefs. They've since kind of switched to you know what, actually, this was a matter of presidential versus personal designation. And Trump designated these documents as personal in his mind. So there is nothing you can do about that. You got to go back and challenge the designation kind of thing. And then they've also kind of left that. And now, you know, hours really just minutes before the oral arguments began, they filed another document back in that district court with a super Trumpy judge saying, we need the affidavit that was underlying the search warrant because we think that this raid, this ransacking was done improperly and it was political. And we need to basically see what the agents were kind of allowed to do in the affidavit to prove that Trump's rights were trampled during the search. So that this has only been going on for like a couple months. And that is the complete evolution that Trump's legal team has taken since then. And so yesterday, you know, you almost feel bad for the guy. You have Trump's lawyer up there kind of like dancing around, trying to be like, you know, every time they would ask him a specific question, it was so funny. At the beginning, every judge was like, was there something improper about the seizure? Because why else in the world are you trying to get us involved at this stage in the investigation before there's an indictment, you know, before there's like any appeal stuff? Like, why are we even here? And then the guy would just be like, well, it's the broad scope of the matter. And like, you know, they took his Celine Dion picture and the judges were like, tell us something was wrong with the raid or else there's nothing we can do here. So so I want you to focus on this part of Explain for our listeners on this point, because Mm -hmm. as I understand it, and I have not been following this as close, you know, the the precise details as closely as you have, that one of the sort of prongs here is that judges would say, look, when you get indicted or when they try to put you in jail, that then you might come back and say, Mm -hmm. hey, I need that document. You cannot use that document against me because you know, you took it in ways that are improper, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, some constitutional, uh, clear constitutional issues. But as I understand it, the judges are basically saying, we're, we're not there yet. You're trying to literally go inside the executive branch and, you know, govern how they make decisions inside the executive branch that for the moment have nothing to do with you. Exactly. So it all kind of it hangs on this idea. There are these like factors that you apply to a search. And the big one is if there was callous, uh, callous disregard of the rights involved. And that's kind of the thing where you say, um, you know, they broke the law in doing in, in gathering the evidence. Right. So then there's like something to contest there and perhaps they wouldn't be able to use the evidence. And the thing is, even this Trump, Trump, Trumpy lower court judge, she said that Trump wins on some of these other factors, these kind of like lower level factors. But that first one, the callous disregard, even she said that the government didn't didn't do that, didn't violate his rights. And, you know, there was some contesting this in the oral arguments, but like the the theory is kind of that factor matters the most. And if you don't have that one, you know, 
none of the rest really matter. So that's why they were kind of pushing on this so hard during oral arguments. And the the chief judge who was on the panel was like, well, if there was no improper seizure, what are we doing here? Because that's kind of the only reason you would need to you know, involve the courts at this point, because as you say, Trump has not yet been charged with anything. The government hasn't even been allowed to investigate anything yet. So Trump's team is just kind of doing this thing of like trying to throw spaghetti at the wall, enabled by this lower court judge in the hopes it, it honestly seems like just to slow down the investigation enough until they can kind of, you know, get Come into power, figure yeah, out yeah. some way to kind of defeat it, you know, because I mean, here they're even they're going to such lengths as saying that the classified documents that were found were not, in fact, confidential information. They were wrongly designated as classified. Like they're trying to fight over every granular little piece of this, which is why it's almost, you know, as cathartic as it kind of was to hear these Republican judges be like, you're an idiot, basically. The whole this whole exercise is just pointless. You know, it's born out of this a special master decision that no sane judge ever would have made because, and you know, part of her biggest argument for letting there be a special master is Trump's, you know, Trump's persona could take such hits from an indictment that, we, you know, we need yeah, to be careful. What was that quote she had? It's like a whole other ball game or like she had some kind of like throwaway comment and obviously judges can have flourishes but she actually seemed to be sit making it like that was like a legal prong of her argument like it's trump man and his you know his. so let me make sure i under, i understand mm-hmm. this so hopefully our, our listeners understand this so so basically you have two buckets and one bucket would be to say in terms of this search one bucket would be to say the judges look at it and say this entire thing was bullshit you had no basis for 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 searching this guy's premises. The whole thing is wrong. So we're throwing it out. Give the stuff back. We're done. Versus, okay, you went through the, you know, you got a warrant, you you did all the stuff, you have the stuff. And so now you have the stuff and you guys over the Justice Department can look at it and talk about it and do, you know, kind of that's your business. Now, when you come to indict Donald Trump, if you do, then we'll have to go through and, and Trump's lawyers will be able to say, you can't allow this document to be admissible for X, Y, and Z reason. And then you've got a whole different whole different standard about whether or not it is admissible, constitutional standards. And basically the judge is saying the first part is just we're it's just get out of here. And since he's not indicted, all this is like irrelevant. Exactly. I mean, and the the Trump team only even started to try to make that first case yesterday basically like that was kind of the this is the first time they're really going after like the warrant and the the search itself other other than just some like generalized griping of like this isn't how you treat our king kind of thing but the chief judge on the panel said think of the extraordinary nature from our perspective an injunction against the executive branch in a pre-indictment situation under the separation of powers the judiciary does not interfere with those kinds of prosecutorial and investigatorial decisions so i mean it's, it's so exactly really like you say. It. Yeah, 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 it's like this is a huge separation of powers problem. And imagine if the courts did kind of let Trump just stymie the investigation before if the investigation even happened. I mean, and they said this during yesterday's hearings, too, that that would just you know open the door for anyone who's ever a target of a federal criminal investigation to just 
shop around for a friendly district court and be like, no, 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 we need a special master or like I, I designated these all unclassified with my mind. So sorry, you're out of luck. <laughs> right, right. Well, I guess it does. It does remind us or at least reminds me, you know, kind of where does the judiciary fit in in all of this? And I think the point here is the judiciary does not tell the federal government how to be the federal government. Mm -hmm. It comes in when there is some party who says, I'm getting screwed with and it's not fair. And it's not fair because I have this right under the Constitution. And so I'm going to go into a court and say, this isn't okay. And, and And when that happens is when some person has a is is claiming to be injured and until you're indicted it it doesn't matter to donald trump what they're talking about in the justice department unless you know until his liberty or his money or whatever gets involved so anyway okay so that's so basically these these three republican appointed judges two of whom actually appointed by trump himself basically just like drop kicked the lawyers to like oblivion and now the it it seems very clear uh they're going to shut this whole thing down and i guess it's just a question of like does it happen this afternoon or do they kind of go you know to go a little slower. Yeah. And we kind of knew the outcome before because the government already had a win on the classified documents involved where a, a different panel from the same circuit, but with two of the same judges that were on the oral arguments, basically let the government you know, use the classified documents in their investigation and kept them out of the purview of the special master who's like still poor guy sifting through for these like executive privilege claims that the Trump team isn't even really making anymore. So we kind of already had an indication that this is probably like the friendliest panel Trump could have picked. And they're like, this is ridiculous. So things were not looking great for him. And they also already tried to appeal that classified documents decision up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court was like, "Mm, no, thank you. So things are not looking good for Team Trump at this juncture. Well, it's interesting, too, that you have, I mean, I, I think, you know, one question in in the Supreme Court's next term, I think will be, uh, you know, the, the politics. This well, we know this is a very political Supreme Court, but um, y- you know, this election outcome I think has to has to feel like some level of of the public sending a message to the Supreme Court. Not that they're going to say, "Oh, okay, we got to be liberal now," <laughs> but like you know, how far do you push stuff? Um, uh, uh, kind of stuff, but it also, and there has been, um, there has long been this question of, they have their, you know, conservative judicial agenda. They have the sort of overriding authority of the president when it's a Republican, mm-hmm. another big agenda point. But there's been this lingering question of when Donald Trump's a private citizen and in trouble for something he totally didn't have to do, are they really going to like, do they give a shit? Like, do they really like, oh, man, I, you know, Donald Trump's our guy. So we need to help him out of this this kind of ridiculous, you know, this 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 uh, this problem he made for himself. And in this case, it seems like, you know, the law is clear cut enough that, you know, there's there's not much of a bone to throw him, uh, 
But at some point, that's probably going to start coming into the coming into the picture that they're kind of like, we never liked this guy to start with. He was like really fucking useful, but like, fuck this guy. Why, why are we going to like, you know, like uh, play shits to help him? I also think it's just like a quantity problem, right? right? I mean, maybe if the idea was like, we will help him out, pay him back for loading the, the court for, you know, the next 50 years, but that's an every week kind of obligation. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. Like maybe like maybe we'll give you cut you a little, you know, we're going to like run some interference for you on the on the taxes stuff. Maybe we're going to do some like give you some executive privilege help. Maybe we'll even kind of like overlook the January 6th stuff, but like dude. <laughs> you know, why did you know this like this latest thing and that that is kind of the I mean even I, I Trump is is has such a bizarre gravitational field. Like even I'm kind of saying, well, you know, sometimes you do need to have an insurrection if you don't want to leave office, you know, kind of like, but it's it's <laughs> obviously I don't think that, but the document stuff is I'm sure the judges are like, dude, why? Like, I know. How did like we know why you did the insurrection? You can't do that, but like at least we understand what was going on. You didn't want to admit you lost, but like you also took all the stuff down to your hotel. I mean, what, like what? And it's so, it's such that classic vintage Trumpian combination of like malice in terms of, you know, degrading norms and having no respect for the institutions and everything. And just buffoonery where you're like, <laughs> You know, far as we can tell, this stuff was just kind of like crammed into drawers alongside signed golf balls. Like, was that worth it for you to potentially go down? I mean, which is so, so Trump, right, that he had the opportunity to just give him the stuff back and it wouldn't have mattered. But now he's looking at all this class, you know, improper handling of classified documents and you open up the whole floodgates of like, even though Trump is, you know, an idiot, there are people in his orbit who know about his idiocy and take advantage of that. And then you're left wondering who opened those drawers, you know, who popped by Mar-a-Lago to see what they could find. Well, that, that, you know, that's the thing that really, makes me think there will be indictments over this is that as you say he could have like a year ago he could have said oh sorry didn't didn't know those weren't mine or didn't know they got you know and and i have no doubt that the biden administration or really any administration if on the first request you say oh dude so sorry sending him right back you're not going to indict former president over that right maybe you should but you're not going to um but in this case his pleadings in the investigation. He's still saying they're his. Mm -hmm. Like, he's not even getting like, well, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, and I didn't, whatever. He's saying they're still his. That's his defense. And I don't see how you can not vindicate the law just to make the point, no, they're really not yours, dude. And, and so it, that... I, th I think, I, you know, I've never been a prosecutor. I don't know exactly how they, how they, um, how they think, but it's not just a question of like, well, he hasn't shown remorse. He still says they're his and that just can't stand. Totally. I mean, we're talking in the Garland context, right? About the idea of the, the appearance of political impropriety and why it's important to kind of 
you know, close that off at the bud. But here, I mean, if, if Trump is not indicted for the document stuff, that is just saying that these document laws don't matter, that the handling of classified documents doesn't matter. And like the tranche of people in the past who have been indicted for that will probably be like, what the fuck? But it's just it's clear cut. It's just it's, yeah. he had the chance to give them back. He was like implored to give them back. He pushed it to the point that they finally needed to do a raid just because after he gave stuff back, they were like, we know this is not all of it. You know, I mean, it's just it's the kind of thing where I understand why they're skittish about prosecuting a former president. I would add that I don't think any restraint on, you know, from a Democratic administration is going to have any bearing on the lack of restraint from a future Republican administration, should they be given this kind of chance. And in that way, it almost reminds me of like the filibuster parallel in the Senate, this just completely Looney Tunes idea that if Democrats don't get rid of the filibuster, well, then Republicans will follow their example. It's like, I don't know what that's based on. But here, it's just... I know that it makes people twitchy and it makes people nervous, but it's open and shut. You know, you, yeah. you got to do it. Agreed. Okay. So, so what about, okay. So what about Kevin McCarthy? Let's what we're, we about went, Kevin, our yeah. Kevin. So what's the, what's the, what's the latest here? Cause you know, it's funny just as I, you know, I did, I did a post uh, today basically saying, you know, kind of what we said at the beginning, kind of like, there's all this stuff like, Oh, Mog is over. It's, it's, they're going to move away from it. When in fact, in the house, it's clearly, as we said, full steam ahead. And then a, a guy I know who's sort of like a dissident Republican, sort of, um, basically said, told me in an email, like, I think you're missing the fact that you've got these, you know, vulnerable new Republicans from New York State, New Jersey, California. They're not going to stand for this stuff. And, you know, my thought is like, dude, what planet are you living on? Like, you know, because this person has, you know, been everywhere in the GOP, mm-hmm. but like, is, is there some, is there some universe that I have not visited where a, a, a bunch of sort of like soft soaps from New York state get up and say, huh, Jim Jordan, I'm afraid not my friend, <laughs> sit right down. We're going to go about coat, this in a, in, a, in a bipartisan way. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, I do, th- I do think that it is going to be a, I think it is going to be unbelievably contentious because I do think those people are going to be saying, I'm going to lose my seat in two years. Like I may lose my seat regardless. We kind of got lucky in a bunch of those, in a, you know, in a, in a bunch of those races, but, um, you know, that's just not how it goes in 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 that in that world. But I, I'm sort of I really did not believe there was any chance that he would not become speaker. Now I'm a little less sure. Um, but but the, 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 the issue is who else is going to be speaker? Right. I mean, that's the thing. And kind of how you were outlining how the leadership elections work at the beginning. It's you know, it's not just a matter of numbers at a flat line that don't change, right? Like if, like you say, people vote present, people vote weird protest votes, like vote for Joe Biden for speaker or whatever. That just like takes the numbers down. That makes it easier for him to get his majority. I honestly, it's hard for me to see a world where he doesn't become leader or speaker, not least because we've had elections in the past where people have not been able to get majorities. And so a plurality kind of settles it. 
I mean, a lot of it is ultimately going to come down to how these people express their opposition. Are right now we've got like five people who say to varying degrees that they're not going to vote for McCarthy. And some of them have left themselves more wiggle room than others. Right. Okay. But I think the the thing is, like, we had the newest guy said, I'm a hard no, you know, I'm going to vote no. I'm not going to vote present. I'm not going to vote, you know, for Ronald Reagan. I'm going to vote no kind of thing. Um, and that's going to end up being critical, right? Because that's a big part of what we're talking about. the The present versus, like, taking the numbers down or voting for someone else versus voting no. That's a different right. vote. Right, um, right. And so I think that's something that we don't totally know yet. If these like they're all Freedom Caucus or Freedom Caucus adjacent, if they're making this noise right now to get concessions from McCarthy and to make sure that he basically lets us beat the Freedom Freedom Caucus run run the group. But he's just kind of like, you know, in charge in name. If right. they're trying to do that, if they're trying to just get caught protesting, you know, I, I don't think it's like totally clear yet how purposeful this opposition is. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, in general, like what is their beef with Kevin McCarthy? They have no beef with Kevin McCarthy. I, and I, and I don't mean by that, like they have no beef that like Josh recognizes. They have no beef with him. He has been, he has been accommodating in every conceivable way. Um, so this whole exercise is whether it's about specific concessions or not, it's fundamentally about we want to show him who is boss. We want to basically make him beg and beg and crawl over a crushed glass to get this and that we are in charge. And I think there's no question that is what it's about. I think the only question is, is whether they are now so caught up in the excitement that they themselves cannot rein it in. Right. Um, because the, the, the problem is, the problem for them is that no one is going to be more accommodating to them. Mm -hmm. No one is going to be more accommodating than Kevin McCarthy is being. Now, you could, you know, put up Jim Jordan or like Paul Gosar or Mo, I guess Mo Brooks retired, but you know, someone like that, uh, then I think you'd have a pretty hard time getting those people from new, you know, getting the other side, everybody, everybody to come along. So I think the only, the only real alternative is you get someone who is, is it McHenry? There's one person they talk about a lot, just someone who's kind of like a, backslapping guy who doesn't have any kind of profile or any juice and everybody kind of likes him and you figure okay he'll be he'll just be a figurehead and why is that any better than McCarthy well we'll have McCarthy scalp and mm -hmm. that will be good for us but that's not really you know there there are downsides to um to doing that, but I get for our for our listeners, the way to see this a hundred percent is they want him to beg. They want to say dance, and he will dance, and that shapes his speakership. That he is, you know, kind of they've they've cut both of his Achilles heels, and he's just there to kind of you know 
uh, uh, do their bidding. And um, again, the only way he doesn't become speaker isn't because that was really the strategy. It's because they just got into such a in, in, <laughs> into, into such a a, 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 a a frenzy. They couldn't mm-hmm. help it, kind of, and it spun right. out of control. Yeah, because I mean, like you say, there's just there's why why bother recruiting someone who's not. Kevin, you know, he's going to do exactly what they want. He's already doing what they want just in these past like couple weeks of agitating from the hard right of the caucus. You know, he he went down to the border and he's like, Mayorkas, resign or we're going to have your head, you know. And then he is now talking about getting Swalwell and Schiff and um, uh, Ilhan Omar Omar off their committees, um, you know, stripping them of their committees. I mean, it's all, it's all going according to plan. Right. So fundamentally it's not as if McCarthy was ever going to be like, you know what guys, that's not right. That's not (laughs) what we're here for. I mean, come on. Like we watched how he, in his uber limited power these past couple years, basically like all we've seen him do is let, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, kind of daydream about like genociding various populations and be like, not good, my friend. And and that is the long and the short. And it's important for our listeners to know that she is one of his biggest allies now. He is, he is, his whole thing right now is relying on Greene and Jim Jordan. And these people are, you know, no more moderate and sane than any of the people who are threatening to vote against him, they've just made the decision, the sort of the, the strategic decision that they're, you know, they are going to get what they want by being his heat shields, basically. Mm-hmm. So really what you have is a battle between, uh, I mean, literally Marjorie Green and Matt Gates over, you know, over Kevin or not. Do we, do we, you know, um, you know, Marjorie wants to make Kevin the rug in the room they're sharing. And Matt says, no, I want a different rug. So that's kind of what this is all, you know, or all about. Even, OK, I'll accede to the rug at some point. But right now, reporters are really eager to talk to me because I'm being difficult about this. So I'm going to keep doing this for a little bit and then we can bring in the rug. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly so right. So the other thing I wanted to mention, um, especially in light of you know one of the myriad mass shootings we've had in the past few days um, is that the same-sex marriage bill, which has been kind of percolating in the Senate for a while, is finally on the glide path to passage. Um, Last week, it kind of, it overcame the first filibuster point with two votes to spare. So it's kind of clear that, you know, it's going to pass. Um, They were going to vote on it in September, but Schumer booted it, hearing that Republicans were afraid of alienating their voters and that it had a greater path to to pass in the lame duck. So that's kind of where we are now. Um, It's kind of it was uh, emotional to watch, I think, because you had Tammy Baldwin, who was the first openly gay woman elected to both the House and the Senate, kind of uh, putting this on her shoulders and shepherding it through. And, you know, it's funny on the House floor while you had all these people chatting and you know hobnobbing and everything she was just most for most of it sitting by herself with a list kind of watching the door and and ticking off names to make sure that everyone was voting the way she thought they would um but you know and and there's been some 
back and forth over the content of the bill, especially because it keeps being described as codifying Obergefell. And, and that's not what it is. It Obergefell both said that, you know, every state has to respect licenses that are granted in other states and that every state has to grant same sex licenses. This bill only does that first part. You have to recognize them. But if Obergefell were to be overturned and this law was the backstop, uh, states could could bring back same sex marriage bans. And, you know, it could be something like the abortion landscape where you, you would have to travel uh, to a, a non-hostile state. Though in this case, it's I mean obviously, obviously marriage is is literally a different thing than an abortion. But in, so that if you're from Alabama, yeah. if you live in Alabama, you would have to go to New York or where you know wherever it is. But then when you come back to Alabama, Alabama has to treat your marriage as a totally you know totally unequal terms. So that um, I mean obviously many people. Many couples were live in one state and were married in a different state, and it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's not like you know, it's not like a driver's license. You got to relicense in 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 your own state. So, but that is a, it's a, it is both a big symbolic difference, but also a big real difference. If you know, if you have to travel five hundred miles to get, you know, to get married, that's not just a kind of a, a sort of a denigration of your equality. It's it's a big hassle. Yeah. And the other thing that it does, which is important, is it repeals um, the. Defense of Marriage Act. Def I was forgetting the D word. Yeah, DOMA. Uh, DOMA. DOMA. Yeah. It repeals DOMA, which is unconstitutional for now, but is still on the books. And DOMA uh, describes marriage as between a man and a woman and lets states not recognize same-sex marriages granted elsewhere. So basically the sum total is like, I, I, I understand people who are upset that this law wouldn't go as far as the Supreme Court ruling. I also think there are some um, legal reasons in terms of like what the government can tell states to do that makes this law more bulletproof than yep. one that tried to mirror Obergefell completely. And also just, you know, I also saw a lot of people being like, I can't believe it's 2022 and only 12 Republicans voted for this. Totally understand that sentiment as well. However, 12 Republicans did vote for it and it's going to pass and Biden's going to sign it. And that is going to be a, it, it, I think it's really important to have that backstop in place, especially given yeah, no, the clear a, hunger from at least Thomas to. It's you a know. big. It it is a big deal. I mean, it's not obviously it doesn't affect me. So I would you know I defer to people who are affected by it. But the reality is, is that without it, you could be in a situation where again, if you live in Alabama, if you live in Mississippi, if you live in Idaho, you know, lots of states that you will no longer be married in those, you know, in the eyes of those states and all the different things that, that, you know, that, um, that come from that, that is a big, big deal. And at least while this creates a, um, a, a, a kind of a denigration of the equality of, of gay and lesbian people, and creates a major hassle for having to travel to get married, it at least does backstop that once you do that, you will be able to go back to any state in the country and be fully married. And that is, you know, that's that's bulletproof. So it's not nothing. Exactly. Especially during this time of 
you know, I mentioned the shooting in the gay club, but the stage was really set by that, by the hard right, just leaning so far into LGBTQ demonization, you know, particularly with a special fervor for trans people, but really across the board, um, doing the age old, you know, gay pedophile associations that we've seen. I mean, that is old, 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 you know, and saying, you know, groomers, hurting children. And, you know, Josh, you were mentioning at the top that you were even surprised how quickly, you know, the Tucker Carlson's of the world kind of fell back on that, even in the immediate wake of a shooting where innocent people were murdered. Yeah, they were basically uh, a number of I'm not even sure you'd buy in present standards if you'd say far right. But people like Tucker Carlson and others basically saying, hey, you can't shoot people. There shouldn't have been this mass shooting. But what are we going to do about these grooming events? which basically just a gay club is a grooming event or the fact that I guess, what is it? I, I, I think in this particular, I mean, not that it matters, but in this particular case, uh, there was going to be a kind of, you know, drag event the next day, the next morning, I guess it would have been Sunday morning at this club. Um, because this is, I believe it's maybe, uh, trans month of of remembrance or day of it's it is a it is a commemoration day to honor people who have died because they're trans violence against trans people okay so on the right that is a grooming event i.e that i mean <laughs> and and so you do have a lot of people saying hey Shooting people's not the right way to do it, but clearly we've got to end these. We've got to put a stop to this. So, so in you know, not even in essence, saying he went about this the wrong way, but we can certainly understand what motivated him. I mean, which is and it's it's this very it's this very um, it's this very strange thing because I think we all know that one of the great transformations of the last generation is the dramatic change in the acceptance of gay and lesbian people and their basic bundle of rights in our society. You know, um, in 2004, uh, George W. Bush, to a great extent, won re-election on the basis of opposition to gay marriage. Now it is treated like why are we, you know, why are we even talking about it? I mean, obviously that's the case. You get a lot of Republicans to vote for it. Um, and yet, and so you have this total transformation and yet kind of through this back door, you've had it go dramatically in the other direction. And the, the, the sort of the path there is through, controversies and demonization of trans people and like, you know, trans women in sports and pronouns and all these kind of hot button issues that that's been kind of that that has been the path. Um, and I, I think we know these remain controversial issues in 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 American life. But it has it over the last two years, it has not only led to this 
vast demonization of trans people, but it has led to a new level of demonization of all LGBTQ people. Um, and, and, you know, so it's, it's this weird, it's this weird thing. It's kind of like all gone back in this, in this different direction where, I mean, we saw it in, um, you know, like in that, in that law in Florida, it's not just trans stuff. It's kind of like, if you are even acknowledging that gay people exist in a, um, in an, I, I can't remember if it's elementary school or whatever, uh, that's grooming, i.e. So you're creating this, this, this framework where teachers are, again, in this, in this world they've created, teachers are recruiting young children, sexualizing them to prep them to become gay. Which is so old, right? I mean, that's very, the, very, the, very the old. fundamentally the fundamental thing that I am not clear on here is whether this is some kind of backlash, you know, to I don't know the idea of progression in general. Uh, you know, just a, an expression from people who feel like they're losing their place atop the social hierarchy or whatever, or if this stuff has just been kind of latent. And there, even amidst the kind of broader landscape of huge advancement of acceptance of gay rights, and now that faction has just been so taken over the Republican Party that now we just hear about it all the time. Whereas before, you would only hear about it if you were kind of like seeking out those kind of uh, homophobic message boards or something. I, I you know, I, I don't, I don't know exactly. Um, and I do think that there is, I think at some level, there's an element of it that, um, there are a lot of people who you say, Hey, you know, that couple down the street, those two men who live, you know, mm -hmm. who live in that house, can they get married? You're sort of like, whatever, I don't care what they do, you know, fine. But then you get to like, should we explain to children that some people, fall in love with, have sex with, get married to people of their own gender. I, I think you, you, you're in a different, for a lot of people, their comfort level with that is just not, is just not the same. So I think that's one dimension mm -hmm. of this. Um, I think, <clears throat> I think another thing though, that is not talked about a lot is we know back to like, Pizzagate and all these different conspiracy theories going back into the early Trump years and even in some cases kind of predating it, this whole thing, you know, Hillary Clinton runs a pedophile ring, mm -hmm. you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and there's a pizza joint in DC and that's where they have the kids in the basement, all this kind of like totally insane stuff. I think there is a strong sense in which the, you know, you're, you, there's only a certain number of people in that world who are going to say, yeah, Tony Fauci and Hillary Clinton, uh, they capture kids from Idaho and they bring them to uh, gay sex dungeons in New York. You're like, dude, what, you know, what are you talking about? But when you say, well, no, no, they, they are grooming kids and it is pedophilia. I, I think part of this is a way to make 
that impulse, whatever was driving the kind of Democrats are running pedophile rings to reshape it a little so that in a factual sense, it's more plausible, Mm -hmm. right? They're not saying they're kidnapping kids in Idaho. They're saying that, uh, the Democrats are, have, have teachers teaching your kids stuff to get them ready to become trans or become gay. So I think that is a big part of it that no one kind of really wants to talk about that a lot of it is sort of like the normalization of QAnon mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's all these things and and you know just where it comes from who knows but I think it's important for I mean you know uh, 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 gays lesbians know this is happening but I do think there's a lot of a lot of our society doesn't quite get how far this has gone in the last year or two. And to some degree, it's probably kind of riding the coattails of the critical race theory stuff as well, which proved to be a very, you know, a potent talking point, even though it was completely made up, but also stems around this right wing discomfort with teaching children about the realities of, of racism and the legacy of slavery. And that, you know, that proved to be something that was emotionally poignant for mm-hmm. the target audience they're trying to reach. And I think you're totally right now. It's just an expansion of of that idea with the, the Q influence, with just really kind of the baseline of the Republican Party, this idea that they it's much more palatable for people to take in these like bigoted ideas when it's predicated on we're just protecting the children. You mm-hmm. know, that's like, mm-hmm. a way to kind of like whitewash the, the anti-black people and the, the anti-gay people stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's all intertwined in a horrible way, which clearly, you know, again, it, this stuff has real real life consequences. And, mm-hmm. and we talked mm-hmm. about this with the Paul Pelosi attack, but I think it's still hard for a lot of like large media outlets to place the culpability where it belongs on this stuff. But this kind of speech has always been used to prime the ground for violence and to teach yeah. people that these people are, you know, subhuman and that they're dangerous and that they're preying on children. So violence against them is not only okay, but it's justified. Yeah, it's defensive. Yep. Okay, so let's move into a couple questions. This one is from Lauren. Uh, She says, now that Trump has announced his candidacy, what do you think will happen with the usual nomination primary process? I would think that Trump would try to bully Ronna McDaniel and the whole GOP apparatus into backing him as the quote unquote incumbent candidate without the need to do a primary process. How do you think this will play out? I think this is such a fascinating question because especially on the heels of uh, the, the reddening of Florida and, and DeSantis's success there, that's what we keep hearing about, right? Like DeSantis versus Trump. And it's almost, you know, as, as much as either of those options would be obviously horrific for democracy and, and would be like hugely important for the the Democrat Biden or whoever it is to, to defeat them. It's just almost funny because can you imagine a greater mess than that? I mean, Trump in any kind of a primary is like, what do we think that say, say they, they both ran and DeSantis won. Well, we think Trump is going to be like, well done, Ron, you have my support from here on out. Like, oh my God, (laughs) it's going to be a bloodbath. Yeah. And if you, yeah, no, it's, it's, it is very weird to think of Donald Trump 
needing to fight it out in any Republican context. I mean, what I my big takeaway from this week is not so much Trump and DeSantis, but with that cattle call they had out in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. it's clear there are a lot of other Republicans saying, like, if it might not be Trump, it's not definitely going to be you, Ron. I want to run, too. And um, you have this other dynamic where um, how much Trump can think strategically like this, I don't know. But the worst case for Trump is if it's Trump versus DeSantis. He wants it just to be Trump. Mm -hmm. But if it's Trump versus DeSantis, he can lose that. But if it's Trump versus DeSantis and like 10 other people, Trump probably can win that. So I don't think – I mean we're going to have a – a de facto shadow primary through 2023. And depending on how that turns out, you may not actually have a primary process. Like if Trump wins that, you may have it where he goes to having already won it. He goes to Rona McDaniel and says, you know, you can hold some stuff, but we're just going to do this like we did it in, 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 in 2020. Um, But I don't think that is, at the moment, he clearly does not have the power to dictate like that. And I'm not so sure he's going to have it because I think things are going to get you know, more complicated for Donald Trump, not less, both mm-hmm. politically and legally. And obviously those things totally. intersect. I also think say that the shadow primary persists, right? And there are serious doubts about Trump's uh, staying power, you know? I think what would be interesting is it would seem to behoove DeSantis in this situation to be the not Trump candidate, right? The the Trump alternative. And obviously we know and everyone who follows politics closely knows that DeSantis is like just as, you know, unhinged as Trump fundamentally. But Trump is also just staggeringly undisciplined. So it doesn't really take that much for someone to take those kind of ideas and package them into some more palatable package, you know, which I think we would see Trump uh, DeSantis do in this situation. But the Trump problem would persist because Trump has got some, you know, put a number on it, 30, 35, 40 at its height, maybe percent in his thrall. And that is not going to change because he particularly has a pension for pulling out voters who don't usually vote, but who love Trump. And I think it's an enduring question. What would happen? You know, and, and we we saw this flurry of think pieces after the midterms of like Republicans grumbling. It's time to throw Trump over. It's like, OK, yeah, we've experienced this a million times. Like this is now the third consecutive election where Trump has lost the Republican Party seats. You know, we know, we know that he is clearly an electoral liability, but he's also an electoral boon if you're a Republican, just by the uncomfortable fact that a good percentage of the base loves him in a way that they do not love other Republicans. Right. right. So that, I mean, I don't know how you resolve that either way. Yeah. And, and, and the other, you know, one question that people have asked, one way that people have framed this is, can DeSantis uh, beat Trump in a head-to-head primary battle? Um, and that is a very different question from can he beat him in an eight-person, you know, in a, mm-hmm. in a sort of a full thing. But can he beat him head-to-head? Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. I don't know how that shakes out. But that's not even really the question. The question is, 
will Donald Trump accept that? Will he say, wow, it was a tough fight, but uh, you won, and now I'm just going to go back to being a normal retired president? <laughs> I mean, yeah, right, right? Off to paint some portraits. Yeah, exactly. So, so either... You know, one, I think, pretty obvious scenario is Trump runs as an independent and destroys Republicans everywhere. Or maybe he doesn't do that, but he just kind of like gets sullen and hangs out in, in, in Mar-a-Lago and just like craps on Ron DeSantis for the, you know, for, for uh, the next six, you know, the, the last six months mm -hmm. of 2024, in which case it will be almost impossible for DeSantis to win. So it's not, you know, normally in, in most primary context, you know, winning is enough, but it's not enough. Uh, and so they really have, um, you know, Republicans have their work cut out for them. I think the, the in, you know, in some ways the best case scenario for Republicans is, Maybe it goes really badly for Trump over the next six months. He's in legal trouble. He's blah, 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 blah. And it's like obvious. He is not going to get nominated. It is not going to happen, like not even close. And so Trump kind of makes this decision. I don't want to be humiliated. So he says, oh, I never really wanted. To. I was just kind of, you know, keeping the seat warm. I never really wanted to run. And and kind of he doesn't run and, and um, isn't doesn't need to be invested in the same way in destroying his Republican successor. Uh, that doesn't strike me as a terribly likely set of events because like if things are going poorly for Trump, I think that just is going to make him hold on to the possibility of becoming president again, even more tightly because that's how he, you know, that's how he, uh, recovers. That's how he defends himself legally and all that kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, you know, who knows how this is going to shake out, but it's, it's, it is a complicated set of factors for Republicans, put it that way. Okay. Well, let, let's, uh, remind everybody the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's cold brew iced coffee. You can get 25% off on your orders by using the promo code TPM. It's, uh, Grady's cold brew.com. And, uh, that's it for us this week. All right. See you next week. Later. The Josh Marshall Podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter Kate Riga, and TPM founder, editor-in-chief Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song. And thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen.